Shepherdess at Harmony Farms, where we encourage you to think big, start small, and don't quit. Today's episode features crossroads land and livestock. Now, Austin and Maggie have just recently completed the process of swapping out their cattle for sheep. Now, I ran across their story, and that can be found at crossroadslandandlivestock.com. But it basically mirrored all of the reasons why I chose sheep over cattle for my farm business. And so when I read that article, I knew I had to have them on for a bit of an interview. If you guys want to know all of those reasons in detail, you can backtrack to the episode here in the podcast library, How Sheep Earn Me 400% More Than Cows. Now in this podcast, Austin and Maggie talk a lot about the importance of social media marketing as a farmer, about a website as a farmer and using basically modern convention in the marketing realm to get your ranch seen by customers. I want to encourage you guys to go to farmontheweb.com where for $15 per month, you will receive tutorials and help on how to create a website, how to launch a social media marketing plan, and how to get your business on the internet. Again, that is farmontheweb.com, farmontheweb.com. So we have today Crossroads Land and Livestock. And I think that your story is garnering a lot of attention because it has taken you probably an equal amount of guts and humility to go from beef cattle ranchers to shepherds. But you exchanged a herd of 300 cows for 1,500 sheep. Go ahead and give us a broad overview of Crossroads as it stands today. Crossroads is... um... I guess just run by my wife and I and our two and a half year old son. We are leasing just under 5,000 acres of some pretty rough country in East Central Ohio. It's been strip mined for coal. We have transitioned from cattle to sheep for a variety of reasons. So we lease all of our ground and we just rotate through it to try to get as much production out of it as we can. What acreage are you actually working across? Just under 5,000 acres. We're only on about 1,500 acres of that with our sheep. Our, our farms are split into three. There's three big sections, and one of those is full of sheep. And we're hoping by this time next year, the second one will be full of sheep. And then uh, the third one for right now is just going to remain um, in custom cows. And when did you actually, on a personal level, get started in livestock yourself? Um, I actually started working right out of high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have the money to go to college. So I just got a job as a ranch hand. It was a pretty neat opportunity. I had a low salary, but I could run some animal units along with my salary. I just stuck with it and ended up working for two of the largest ranches in the state and kind of learned everything I know from them and then had an opportunity to go on our own here. So I guess it's been going on 11 years. And when you started in as an 18-year-old, had you had any previous experience with livestock? No, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I, uh, it was pretty humiliating going to a, a ranch that had 2,000 cows and, and trying to talk to some of those guys. Just the terminology even was, was overwhelming because I didn't know anything. It was a humbling experience, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. How much time did you spend kind of interning between those two ranches? First one, I worked for two years full-time and, and learned a lot about the business behind ranching. And then the second one was a higher salary pay. It was a lot more work, seven days a week. Um, I was caring for about 
450 mama cows by myself and just running those, calving those, doing that kind of thing. And at what point in the game did you say, this is what I want to do with my life? It was pretty quick. I just fell in love with the animals. I love to be by myself. I love to work outside and I just love the lifestyle that came with it. And at that time we weren't married and I just knew that I wanted to continue this as my way of life. I guess later on down the road, it kind of matched what my wife had in mind. (laughs) I was getting ready to ask along those lines. So how long have you guys been married? And Maggie, did you have this same passion for livestock that your husband does. We've been, uh, this September we'll be married eight years and I kind of realized that if I was going to marry Austin, this was kind of the path that we were going to go down, but I didn't really care what we did. I saw how passionate he was about ranching and farming. We both had the same interests. I just, I guess I kind of went along with it and, and here we are eight years later. So, <laughs> so I've sort of been watching your social media and it's, it's neat to see you're sort of the rancher austin and maggie has a little bit of a gift in marketing for us we kind of knew that we wanted to work for ourselves and we kind of realized that there was going to be a little bit of a learning curve we just really found that people seem to resonate with what we're doing and think what we're doing is pretty interesting so that's kind of how we we got started you know really sharing our stuff on social media there's a huge need to have a presence on social media and on the web as a necessary evil as we both call it well just kind of like as a spoiler i did hear on grazing grass austin that you are not techno savvy and you rely on your wife a lot for that true story or not oh man I couldn't do anything without her. She's uh, she's my saving grace. But she is right when she says that when we first started in this, we didn't realize the value that marketing has. Mm-hmm. And not huge social media people, but the importance of it is is tremendous in our business. So touch on that. When did that kind of resonate with you? Sure. Um, I guess a, an example of that would be the first year we went on our own. We were so busy trying to get everything set up and keep our cows into grass and get fences mm-hmm. built. Together. At the end of the, of the fall, we finally got a calf crop weaned without really good pens or anything. And then it was like, okay, what are we going to do with them? Where are we going to sell them? Mm-hmm. And we took a big bath that year because we, we didn't have a good marketing plan. We just ended up selling these through a local sale barn, to, got about 25 cents below the market value on them. The next year, um, the markets were actually lower than our first year, the commodity market was. And we built a website, we did some marketing, we took some videos, we advertised these as they've just been raised on grass kind of a deal. And in a lower market, we got 50 cents more per pound for the same calves. Wow. So that, that spread that over a couple hundred calves and that really made a huge difference. So marketing wow. was huge. They were, mm-hmm. yes, feeder calves, they were going to actually ended up going to a feedlot, but we didn't have to go through a sale barn and pay commission and pay the trucking and all that kind of stuff. It was straight mm-hmm. off the farm, they kind of a deal. Wow. Well, that's neat. That's kind of like a value adding um, kind of consumer education there. In farming, especially if you're not careful, the margins can be really tight, right? So anything that you can do to really capitalize and grow your profits is amazing. And so for us, you know, the work and effort putting into a website and having a really strong social media presence in the long run pays for itself and pays for your time because you're able to reach a really large audience of like-minded people what you're doing really resonates with them and then eventually you'll get to the point where your stuff starts selling itself right people start coming to you because they see what you're putting out all year long as much as we don't like it being on social media and having a presence and a solid website 
is really important for your future growth and also your bottom line. What I always tell people in marketing is kind of start before you're even ready or start before you're ready to sell. And would you, if you could go back, have created a website before you even bought livestock? We definitely would. We've, we've jumped all over the place as far as we're the king and queen of pivoting. Had a retail business and we sold a lot of our own meats direct to customers through an online retail store and just being able to see what a solid website can do. It was mind blowing the reach that it has. Even what we find ourselves doing now, as far as our social media and our website, we're doing, you know, in, in a line with a five-year plan or, you know, a three-year plan, knowing that if this is where we want to get, we have to start, you know, we have to start working towards that now. I'm going to ask you more marketing and infrastructure questions down the road, but to backtrack a little bit, describe your land base and just basically the topography and watering situation that you have on that 1500 acres you're working across. Our strength, what we have here is we grow a tremendous amount of low quality feed. Topography is fairly steep. Some of this stuff, you can't get a four wheeler up and down. That's where dogs have come into play. We have very limited water. There's a lot of ponds here that are dry because it's, it's filled from the strip mine. So it has no bottom, has no clay. The water we do have is really low quality because of all the sulfur from the coal. So water is a, is a big challenge for us and that really limits our grazing and how often we can rotate. In all of this, as you had that initial ideal of beef cattle, were sheep ever, did they ever cross your mind? And basically when was the first time they did? If the answer is no up front. The answer was a hard no up front. <laughs> I was very anti-sheep. I swore I would never own a sheep. It, it started the first year we went, we came went on our own. We just, we quickly realized one, the, the quality of our feed, the cows aren't performing well enough on it. We were having some problems with cows breeding back. My wife convinced me to try a small group of sheep. And as much as I was dreading them and the guard dogs and everything that went with it, the fencing requirements, they just made sense. Like some of our steep hills, there'd be a pond all the way in the bottom. It might be 300 acres with one pond and the cows would literally never get to the other side because it was so far from water and it was so steep going uphill. Well, the sheep like lived up there. <laughs> Initially, when we started, we were we were going to be cowboys. Now that we're on the other side, we kind of ran the numbers and realized that, you know, you can be a cowboy all day long, but if it doesn't pay the bills, it doesn't pay the bills, right? When we started to run the numbers between sheep and cattle, and we were able to remove the emotional connection that we had to cows, we really quickly realized that sheep were the future of this place. You know, how the sheep graze and where they graze and how they utilize the ground it just makes sense it makes it makes so much more sense than than sticking with our cow calf operation so how stable is your land base giving given that is a lease situation do you feel like that's gonna serve you for the foreseeable future that's a great question that's that's the risk in what we do it's a risk leasing ground but for young first generation farmers like us it's it just makes sense because it really helps keep the overhead costs low. And it does come with risk. If the landowner decides to sell, then we have to figure something else out. But it allows us to really grow and pour our money back into the farm versus having to buy a bunch of ground up front and have your money tied up in that. Yeah, and we do try to structure our leases so that it protects us a little bit. You know, our, most of our leases now are seven to 10 year leases. If you're going to go put that much effort and, and money into infrastructure like fencing, there, there is some security there. How did you come about your lease? I get a lot of questions from people asking me how to get into lease land. Just a testimonial from you, how you came across yours. Sure. Um, 
My favorite way to find leases is I use Onyx Maps. It's a satellite version of like a Google Earth or something. And you can you can zoom in on an area, you can find some open ground. What I'll do is, is I don't want ground outside of probably an hour and a half radius of our farm here. So I will I'll break that down into sections and kind of look for open pieces of ground. And a lot of times on those maps, you can tell if it's being used or not. And then I'll just drop some pins on those. And then someday when it's either raining or it's super hot or what, you know, whatever the, or even just a day off, I can drive around and go from pin to pin and look at those different places and see, you know, is there a fence on it? Is anybody doing anything with it? And then the Onyx program will actually give you their tax address so you can write them a letter. That's how I approach it. That's my favorite way. Hey, was it what, three to five years before you actually secured a lease and you were able to go out on your own and there was a lot of phone calls and letters written that you just have people that weren't interested or don't call you back. So there's a lot of effort up front that has to go into really tracking those people down. And then once you find a lease, really coming up with a solid lease structure and what you're going to pay and how long you're going to be there. It takes a lot of work to find those those leases. So I would say that being persistent and willing to broaden your horizons, we were willing to move, we were willing to relocate for the perfect lease. So there's definitely pros and cons to leasing. You kind of have to be a little flexible and understand the risks, but when you are able to find that, and if you're able to secure it, it can really, it, it can really jumpstart, start your ranch. Yeah. Well, that's neat that you mentioned the Onyx hunt. I was introduced to that by another rancher last year. And that's how he finds his lease land. And that's how I've been able to scout out some for myself. So that's really neat. Um, the process of finding your lease though, just to touch on that, finding it and securing it, that was a three to five year process. Yeah, um, and, and I was looking for a, a lease that was large enough that we could go on our own. Um, I had actually found some smaller leases that were connected to the or, or in the area that we were working um, at the time, and, and I was utilizing those, but they weren't big enough that we could go on our own. So trying to find a big track of ground that wasn't, you know, somebody else wasn't already on, and then trying to get the landowners to respond to you and actually work out a deal. Um, that, that took us, well, we started it from day one. We started it, I guess, 11 years ago, but the reality was it, it probably took us five years once we made that first phone call to the landowner. Mm, that's good to hear though. Yeah, it takes a while for sure. Yeah, yeah. So when you made the transition from beef to sheep, was it exclusively topography or was it kind of a realization that beef is a tough row to hoe in ranching with respect to profitability? I, I would say that it made sense for us. I don't want it to sound like sheep are the magic answer. They're not perfect for everybody. They fit us here in our operation. The ranches I was on, they grow a tremendous amount of high quality feed they make money on beef cattle. We were very different from them. So I don't want to make it sound like sheep or God's gift in the livestock business, but for us, it was financial. It was the topography, the, the feed utilization, manure distribution, the water requirements. There, there's a whole list of things. I resisted it as long as I could, but I just couldn't ignore it. It was the perfect storm in a sense that you had the topography and you realize the animal was a better fit to convert those natural resources into a finished product. And I think that's the key with respect to profitability in today's cattle market is just sticking as tight to your natural resources as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that there's not margin in the cattle business, especially when there's like direct to consumer has really good margins. It just wasn't scalable here for us on our place specifically. Mm -hmm. 
what is your overall sales plan for your sheep? Our goal is to develop a seed stock you a really hardy, low input you that's also balanced with a good carcass. We're still a ways from there. We've still got a long ways to go with our genetics, but in the meantime, we're just selling semi loads of feeder lambs or finished lambs to Detroit and Phil and Philadelphia and New York are our three biggest ones here in Columbus, Ohio as well. They're a little closer to us. We did change away from the retail. It was tough with just two of us to do it all. We had stretched ourselves a little thin. And we had had success with the retail business, but it, it didn't leave us time, one for our marriage, for our son. And then we couldn't give the sheep or, and at the time, the cows, the time they needed because we had someone, we, we just spread ourselves too thin. And everybody says diversify, diversify, diversify. And that's true, but you also can't just do everything halfway. Yeah. So it's and a when we And when we decided to kind of get out of the cattle business, it was kind of a natural closing of that retail store because cattle is how we started and that was our easiest thing to market direct to customers it was our best seller and you know we did pastured pork and we we sourced chicken and when we got rid of the cattle it was a natural end to that and, and it just like to austin's point we just really realized we would rather do one or two things really really well and still have time for our son and for each other and the things that are really important to us versus trying to be jacks of all trades and do all the things because we did for a while, we tried to do all the things and um, it, it just got to be too much. I think especially when you're working at such scale, I mean, I think a lot of people start off a little bit smaller than 1500 sheep and 5,000 acres, but I think that's a really good point with respect to diversity kind of comes with mastering one and adding another, so. Right. Yeah, and something else we've learned on that topic is you can be diverse with one species. You know, we can sell rams, we can sell breeding stock, we can sell direct to customer. Absolutely. So diversity, that's a really important topic to touch on that diversity does not just involve diversifying your species base. It's just a matter of, it could be a matter of marketing and having a diverse portfolio of marketing opportunities. Yeah. And then we, you know, we can add in like we have guardian dogs. Well, that can be an mm -hmm. enterprise. You already have them. Um, same thing with border collies, they can become an enterprise. To turn it into its own enterprise is honestly not any more work than if we were just doing it for ourselves. So we have definitely learned that there's a way to diversify without actually spreading yourself very, very, especially for young farmers, because you come in with this like, like this zest, like I'm going to do it all. And I have so much energy. And then, you know, five, 10 years later, like, I am tired. <laughs> I am tired and I don't have time and it's not worth it anymore. Right. Um, so what breed did you choose to build your flock with? You've mentioned that seed stock and hardy genetics are your end goal. What here at the onset have you chosen to facilitate that? We haven't necessarily picked specific breeds that we think are better than others. Um, we have more chosen the sheep that are being raised in the management system that we want and trying to find the quantity that we wanted limited us to what breeds we could pick. But what we have right now is we have uh, St. Croix, which I think are on one end of the spectrum. They're extremely low maintenance. They're extremely parasite resistant, but I think they lack in their carcass. A lot of the people we've talked to and buyers that we've showed our lambs to did not like their carcass. So that's not to say they don't have their purpose, but we're trying to build that, take that as a foundation and add a carcass to it. And that's where the Dorpers have the Dorpers still have a good parasite resistant for us. Um, they're still really low maintenance, but they have a lot more muscle. Um, we're having 
St. Croix Rams over Dorper Hughes, and we still have some St. Croix Hughes too. But that's that that's what the next generation will look like, and we're we're excited to see where that's gonna what that cross will do, and then we'll make a decision from there. Yeah, I think that that is a good cross. Now there's the Australian white, which I'm hearing a lot more more about, and that is a white Dorper cross for the St. Croix. I think we're looking for a wonder breed and that doesn't necessarily exist. I've been realizing more and more lately that a flock is kind of like a really personal thing. You build it out, you cull for what you want, and you create basically the end product that you kind of have a vision for. All right, so closing out here, I have been really appreciative of your outward display of your faith and just trusting in the Lord. What portion of that has really played into what you're doing today? Do you feel like this is a calling in your life that he's kind of given you? Absolutely, 100%. The position that we're in is way bigger than us. We couldn't do this without Christ, and He has opened and closed doors where they needed to be opened and closed. There was other opportunities that fell through, and they were extremely frustrating. It was, at the time, it was super hard, but looking back, it was the right thing. Yeah. And then not only that, but just the day-to-day stuff, like going out and seeing a baby lamb be born. If somebody doesn't believe in, in, in Christ or in a God, you show them that, and it's it's hard to deny. There's definitely a connection there. Yeah. So what would you tell and how would you encourage someone from your faith perspective who's getting into ranching, who has no experience from what you've seen and how the Lord's provided for you? What would be your final word to them? I think there's a balance because I think a lot of people will tend to kind of sit around and wait. I, I think my perspective or our perspective has been we, we go and we seek opportunity and we try to do everything we can and are trusting that the things that will are meant to be will, will, will happen. And I think I'm guilty of having a mentality that of, of waiting for God to do something or waiting for this, yeah. but I don't think it necessarily works like that. I think we go out and we take action and we do things and he's alongside us and guides us in those steps. Yeah. I think it's neat because I started out sort of similarly. I had my own idea of what my operation was going to look like. And I just went, I just went for it as doors opened. And I think you just have to be kind of flexible to how he leads, you know, directs your steps. Absolutely. And there's also some great parallels between sheep and humans in scripture. (laughs) There's a reason that we are referred to so many times as sheep. Um, It is. It is. And that's been one of the greatest opportunities I've had to, well, great and also like really humbling to sit and watch. Oh, 100%. We, we joke that like sometimes sheep every day, like they wake up looking for a new way to die. And you see some, they get themselves into these situations and you're like, you are so dumb. And then you stop and you go, it's making sense now. I know. And now I know why the Lord compared us to sheep. I said, nobody on my farm is allowed to call sheep stupid because it's self-incrimination. So. Oh, 100%. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> If you guys have enjoyed the Shepherd is podcast, please give us a five star rating wherever you are listening, whether iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. It will really help me forward in this program and encourage me to continue making more.